Christ is risen. risen All right. Well, welcome. Thank you for spending part of your Easter day with us here. It's a a joy to to see each of you. I was uh, reminded of a story about a guy that was traveling in the Holy Land. And uh, he was with his wife and his mother-in-law. And his mother-in-law took sick and died rather suddenly. So they made trying to make funeral arrangements and the funeral director said we can bury her here in the Holy Land for 5000 or you can ship her back to the United States for 25000 So you have to decide what you want to do. The guy thought about it and he says, well, I think I'm going to ship her back to the States. And the funeral director, puzzled, said, why? And said, you can have a perfectly fine funeral here. And he said, well, 2000 years ago, a guy was uh, died and was buried here, and he rose again, and I'm just not taking that chance. <laughs> so, we all know the story of uh, the resurrection, and, you know, the, the broad strokes, the, you know, Jesus is buried, and uh, early Sunday morning, Mary and some of the other women come to the tomb, they find it empty, the stone rolled away. They go back, tell the disciples, Peter and John run to the grave, see that it's empty, connect the dots, and the Bible says they believe. So Mary lingers after they go back, and uh, Jesus appears to her and gives her words of reassurance. And uh, she goes back to the disciples saying what she's seen. And then that night, Jesus appears to all the disciples in 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 a locked room, and uh, he he, the Bible says that he, he greets them and says, Peace! And then he shows them his hands and his feet and his side. And he, and he, and he says, uh, As the Father sent me, so I send you. And for 50 days, Jesus met with his disciples and taught them and encouraged them and, and uh, finally said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And so, uh, a new age uh, was inaugurated with the resurrection of Christ, an age of hope and an age of proclamation. And so we read you know, things like, uh, were written by the Apostle Paul. And though he died, it says, he says, God raised him from the dead and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. And we, we find uh, Jesus' own words Uh, gaining credence because of His resurrection. Where He says things like, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though He dies, yet shall He live. Uh, In My Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you and will come again to receive you unto Myself that where I am, you may be also. Appearing to John, In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who is dead and is now alive, and I have in my hands the keys to death and to Hades. The resurrection gives us ground, 
solid ground for our confidence so that we can say things, echo things like Paul was, was saying that now we are being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and rejoice in the hope of sharing in the glory of God. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor life, nor death itself can separate us from His love. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We have been born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to obtain an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, which will not fade away, reserved for us in heaven. We live in an age of hope and proclamation. And we rejoice today because of it. But not everybody got the memo. And uh, Thomas was one of those disciples that wasn't there when Jesus initially appeared. And there are lots of people in our world today that still question, you know, what, what did happen, if anything? And how can I believe the story of such a miracle? You know, I love skeptics. Because uh, I'm kind of a skeptic myself, to be honest with you. And... Um, you know, I, I always like the, the definition of the agnostic, uh, dyslexic insomniac. You know how you define an agnostic, dyslexic insomniac. It's somebody that lies awake at night wondering whether there really is a dog. Okay. Too much chocolate Easter uh, candy. But... Uh, Honestly, a lot of us do lie awake wondering about certain questions. And everybody processes things differently. The Bible says that we should love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And so, some of us process a lot of things through our mind. And we need to be convinced. And that's the way Thomas was. So, let's read from the Gospel of John about what happened to Thomas. And here in chapter 20, we read these words. Verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then He said to Thomas, Put your finger here 
and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. I think there's some things to be learned from this encounter of Thomas with Jesus. And, and one of the things for me is, is, that, is that we need to draw the circle bigger in our lives and in the church for those who are doubters. Thomas declared that he would not believe And yet, we read, eight days later, he's with the disciples. They found a place in their fellowship for Thomas the doubter. He felt that this was still a safe place to be. Wouldn't it be wonderful if those who were skeptics, if those who had questions, if those who had doubts, felt like the church was a safe place to be. Unfortunately, it's not always a safe place to be for people who have questions. Here's a, some, some conclusions that were reached from a couple different studies of uh, those who decided to leave their faith, their Christian faith, behind. Almost to a person, those who left, before le- spoke, recalled that before leaving the faith, they were regularly shut down when they expressed doubts. Some were ridiculed in front of peers for asking insolent questions. Others reported receiving trite answers to vexing questions and being scolded for not accepting them. One was slapped across the face, literally. At the 2008 American Sociological Association meeting, scholars from the University of Connecticut and Oregon State University reported the most frequently mentioned role of Christians in deconversion was in amplifying existing doubt. Deconverts reported sharing their burgeoning doubts with a Christian friend or family member only to receive trite, unhelpful answers. It's up to us to be different. You know, we should not repress our own doubts when we have them. God wants us to love Him with our mind. We can't do that if we're unwilling to confront the questions that we might have. And, and uh, we shouldn't, shouldn't repress our own doubts. We shouldn't suppress the doubts of others by becoming defensive, by running away from the questions by saying things that shut down further conversation. My own, uh, my own dad 
was instrumental in my conversion. And uh, when I was 16, I remember one day in, in, uh, in church, I didn't take communion. We took it like every Sunday. And I just was having questions and doubts and I was troubled and I didn't take it. And later in that day, after we played some tennis, uh, he said, I noticed you didn't take communion today. I said, yeah, you know, I'm just having some doubts and questions. I'm not sure it means much to me at this stage. And he said, well, let's talk about it. And so over a course of of several months, uh, my dad and I talked. He never really had a lot of answers for me, but he had an open heart. He listened. And I, I always love the statement that, that it goes like this. He said, faith keeps many doubts in her pay. If I could never have doubted, I would never have believed. If my dad had done something different than what he did in the car in that, on that Sunday afternoon, I might have met my life might have taken a totally different turn. And so it's incumbent upon us when we're in conversation with people who are expressing doubts, reservations, not to shut them down, but to listen and understand. One of the things we need to get better at is listening and understanding as God's people. We don't listen very well. And what the person that you're talking to may need the most isn't answers, just somebody to listen with patience and compassion and understanding. So let's get better at listening and understanding. Because people have honest doubts. And that's nothing to be afraid of. The the truth can bear up under the closest scrutiny. We don't need to be afraid of questions. And uh, so we need to get better at listening and understanding. We also need to get better at providing answers. And quite frankly, some of us become defensive or shut down the conversation because, well, we don't have much to say. And uh, I'm not saying we need to have all the answers because we don't. I've studied this stuff most of my life and I don't have all the answers. I've got enough of the answers to convince me, but I don't have all the answers. And if somebody says they have all the answers, they haven't asked all the questions. But, uh, you know, we, we probably all need to, to know more than we do. And, you know, some, some good books will be very helpful. I know Lee Strobel is a, a very popular author nowadays. and He's written The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. And these are, you know, very uh, helpful books. And they'll give us more confidence. And as we have opportunity, they give us some content to share with with other other people. 
I don't believe we can argue somebody into the kingdom. It was uh, Dale Carnegie who, who once said, you can never win an argument. And I kind of discovered this over the years because I d- used to do a lot of that. And I said, you know, I'm just not going to argue about it. But, uh, you know, I, I think people do need to get in more information and, I, and we can certainly provide that. But arguing is a bad idea. Um, the, the third thing that I think we need to get better at is just living the Christian life. And uh, yeah, it helps to listen, it helps to understand, it helps to know more, but ultimately the strongest, most compelling, most persuasive reason that somebody comes to Christ is because they see a change in us. And they want it for themselves. Unfortunately, a lot of us, you know, live very inconsistent lives as Christians. We always will. But we need to get better at living the life. I think it was Friedrich Nietzsche who once said, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you need to look more redeemed. (laughs) And... uh, Mahatma Gandhi also once said, he said the, when he's asked, what is the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? He said, Christians. So, you know, our lives are the only Bible most people are ever going to read. And so I encourage you to do your best, you know, to, to follow Christ as consistently as you can. And be honest about when you're inconsistent. So what happens? Uh, what happened to, to, to Thomas? And uh, we read next. And what happens to, to somebody that uh, is, is struggling with doubt? And what happened is Jesus showed up. The disciples did their part. They were faithful. They continued to love and accept Thomas. And they probably had conversations. But in the end, Jesus showed up and closed the deal. And uh, we need to, to, to basically leave the rest up to Jesus. When it comes to seeing other people come to faith, uh, we need to recognize that we're not the soul winner. Jesus is. And so Jesus came and, and uh, singled out Thomas uh, specifically and said, Look, see my hands and my side and my feet. Be not unbelieving, but believe. And uh, so Thomas fell to his, his knees and said, My, work, my Lord and, and my God. And Jesus continues to appear to people today. He is not dead. <laughs> he is Alive, He is not the great I was. He is the great I am. And if you ask Jesus to show up in your life, He will. If you need a fresh revelation of His presence in your heart and in your life, He will give it to you. I have no problem 
with somebody saying, Lord, I need, I need you to do something to convince me that this stuff is true. I was talking to uh, a couple gentlemen from Russia two weeks ago. They were visiting in the States and uh, spent the better part of a day with them and their translator. The translator was from Moldova. During the course of the day, all three of them uh, shared their testimony with me at one point or another. And, and they were very similar. Uh, all three guys had been alcoholics and drug addicts. And they checked themselves into Christian rehab, uh, in one in Russia, another in New York City. And they said to the Lord, they said, Lord, if you're real, and I don't know if you are, but I need you to show up. I need you to come and help me because I am beyond any human help. And they all three reported almost instantaneous uh, deliverance from their affliction and their, their addiction. Um, Jesus shows up. Jesus has a way of passing into rooms in our lives where we've locked the doors. I uh, read something by a missionary from South Africa who said that 40 in, in, their, in their study of Muslim conversions on the continent of Africa, 43% reported that a vision of Jesus or a dream of Jesus or an angel played a role in their conversion. Jesus still shows up inside rooms where we've locked the door. Uh, there's a, a woman who writes her, her testimony. Not all conversions are, are that, that dramatic. But here she says this. I was a very unhappy person. I could just have about any, could have just about anything money could buy. One day I looked at my beautiful house, my car, my lovely wardrobe. What's wrong with me? I asked myself. Why am I so unhappy? I sat down and for the first time in my life I prayed seriously to the Lord. Dear Lord, help me out of my misery. Something is very wrong in my life. Please send someone to show me the way. About an hour later, a neighbor came to my door and invited me to a Bible study. I can't believe you're here, I said. I just prayed and asked God to help me out of my misery. Here you are in answer to my prayer. My neighbor introduced me to Jesus Christ. Sometimes Jesus shows up in the form of a neighbor or a friend. Maybe it's a coincidence it's too coincidental to be a coincidence. Maybe that's that still small voice in your heart. Maybe it's a growing conviction in your life that there's something more. Maybe, I know for me, it was just driving the driving question, what happens to me when I die? I need to know. 
not natural for a 16-year-old to think that way. But that's the way Jesus showed up initially in my life. And I have a feeling that there are some here who have some, some locked rooms in your heart. And maybe, maybe there are doubts that, that you're struggling with. Maybe, maybe there are addictions that you're, you're still in the, the grip of. Maybe there's a hopelessness and a lack of purpose. Sort of an emptiness. Maybe there's just hurt. And you need Jesus to come through the door. I'm going to pray in just a minute and invite Jesus to do just that for us. But I, I want to look at Thomas's response to Jesus for just a moment. Where, where Thomas takes a knee and he, he says, Jesus, my Lord and my God. This was not simply a theological declaration. This was a personal dedication. And, and, and Jesus doesn't ask us just to believe with our heads. He invites us to follow Him. And as we pray, there may be some here. You've got a high Christology. You're all about the theology of Christianity. But are you following Jesus? You can make a theological declaration with Thomas, but are you willing to make a personal dedication of your life? You know, Thomas went to India. Followed the trade routes. East, founded churches and preached the gospel in southern India. Indians will tell you that to this day. And he was martyred there for his faith. My Lord and my God was more than a theological declaration. And it needs to be for us as well. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, we just uh, we take a knee today. And uh, we pray, Father, that uh, you, will, you will come into the rooms of our lives where there's darkness, where there's hopelessness, where there's doubt, where there's need for direction, where there's need for freedom and deliverance. Jesus, I just invite You to come through the doors of our lives. To reveal Yourself to each one of us anew. That we might be refreshed by Your presence. Keep our eyes and our ears and our hearts open to the ways that You want to reveal Yourself to us today and in the days ahead. Help us to follow You. To become Your servants like Thomas and like the others. 
Thank you for Easter. Thank you that in you we have a hope and a future, not only for this life, but for all eternity. In your name we pray. Amen.